welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you are here. We are in the second week of our series, The Social Dilemma. And before we dive into that, let me welcome those who are joining us on Facebook Live. Love having you guys comment, share, do all the things that you guys do so well. Again, it's great to have you. Let me remind you that next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, and it's also our Newcomers Luncheon. First of all, baptism, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've not taken that next step of baptism, we can get you involved uh, next Sunday in either the 8.30 or the 10 o'clock service. There are instructions in the worship guide. You can also indicate you would like information on the tear-off, and when you leave today, you can leave that with us. Or you can send us an email, info, info at crossroadslebanon.com. Lori Dove's information is also in the worship guide. You can contact her. She will contact you back and get you set up. Specifically, if you have any questions, you can ask her or me, and we'll take care of that. Also, if you're new to Crossroads, we have our newcomers luncheon next Sunday after this service. Again, it's a very informal way to learn a little bit more about the church, who we are, what God has called us to be, and, or who he's called us to be and what he's called us to do. So if you'd like to do that next Sunday after this service, we'd love to have you. We pay for the lunch. It takes about 45 minutes. And let me just say this. If not an, it's, we're in that weird kind of year, time of the year where people are doing a lot of things on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, that kind of thing, the weekends. If there's not enough people that signs up, we may defer you to May. Uh, so we have a, a decent crowd uh, of people to get to know each other and to be able to kind of fellowship together. So again, those two things are next Sunday. Well, like I said, today is the second week of our series, The Social Dilemma, where we're, lo- we're actually talking about how media, and specifically social media, actually impacts uh, our lives, how this little thing that you carry around with you in your pocket, how companies and apps are using that to influence your life. And this past week, I was talking to somebody who was telling me, you know, they were in the service, they were in the 830 service last week, and they were like, Randy, I really don't do, you know, the whole social media thing. I don't do a lot of that kind of stuff. And it was kind of honestly encouraging to hear somebody say that because, again, there's this idea maybe for some people that, I mean, I honestly don't know anybody but John Sloan who doesn't have a smartphone, okay? Uh, John still has a flip phone. So anyway, but, but nevertheless, most everybody has some kind of smartphone. And again, even if you don't have a smartphone, even if you're not on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all the apps that we're using to stay connected... I'm just telling you, this series is still going to speak to you last week, this week, and probably the next couple of weeks. It doesn't matter, again, if you're involved or entrenched in social media. You're going to get something out of the things that we talk about throughout this series. Now, again, let me go back to last Sunday because last Sunday we kind of started this series with a question. And the question really kind of, it's a big question, but it's a very small question as far as Uh, how little it is and how many words I use to ask you this. And here's the question. The question was this, what's feeding you? I mean, you think about it, you know, you you talk about your feed on your phone. What is your feed feeding you is a way that you can look at at that. And again, so let's just say, let's just say you don't do social media at all. Uh, You you don't get in there. You're not into it. Uh, But here's what I would say. It doesn't matter. You're being bombarded every single day with images and message and news and news feeds and advertisements. And all of those things are coming into your life. And all of those things that are fed into us, those are all things that ultimately are shaping our thoughts. 
And more importantly, whether we realize it or not, those things are beginning to change and to shape our theology. Because I said it last week, the goal of media is not to inform you. The goal of Fox News and CNN and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all of the other things, their goal is to ultimately influence you, to influence the way that you think, to change and to influence your theology. Now, see, I say the word theology, and a, peop- a lot of people kind of disengage, and they're like, theology, ooh, that, that, that can be an intimidating word. And, and, and I'll tell you this morning whether you kind of identify with the word theology or not. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you have a theology. There is theology. There is a theology in your life. I said it last week. Even the atheist has a theology. So when you think about the word theology, the, the word theology actually comes from two Greek words, and the words are this, theos, which means God, and logos, which means word or rational thought. So put those two together. We're going to leave it up there just a second. Put those two together. When you talk about theology, it's just what you think about God. That's what your theology is. What are your God thoughts? What, what, what are the things that you think of when you think about God, because there's this amazing quote, and again, we looked at it last week, and I've used this quote in series before, but it's by this guy named Tozer, A.W. Tozer, and here's what he says. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is ultimately the most important thing about us. Now, look at that. Look at, look at, look at what that says, because that tells you that the importance of theology and personally your theology, that quote tells you that it can't be understated. Your theology is so important. What we think about God, how we think about God, it impacts or influences literally everything about us and every decision that you make throughout your entire life is impacted or influenced when it comes to the things that you think about God. I mean, think about it. It impacts every moment of every day. That's why as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have got, listen to me, Crossroads, we have got to be serious about our theology. We need to guard and protect what we think about God. So let me ask you the question again. The question is this. What's feeding you? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Epoch Times, Fox News, CNN. I mean, you you all have those apps on your phone. What's feeding you? Can I just tell you there are some things that you really need on your phone versus some of the things I just mentioned? You need the YouVersion Bible app. You have the Bible, Scripture, devotions right there on your phone. And let me just tell you, parents, you don't need your kids on phones and tablets and screens all the time. You don't need them there. But if you're going to allow them some screen time, YouVersion has some 
actual things that are designed and, and, and specifically put together for children, telling Bible stories. So get that on your phone. You need to get maybe the, the, the Dwell Bible app. That's what I have, Dwell, D-W-E-L-L. It, it, it's, sometimes I'm really, really busy, and I don't have time necessarily to read a lot of the Scripture like I want to. So you know what I do? I turn on the Dwell Bible app, and the Dwell Bible app reads the Scripture to me. And I still get the Word deposited in me. There are countless options for you to put those apps on your phone and let those things feed you instead of Instagram feeding you and Facebook feeding you. Now, if you remember, I challenged you last week when we left to start looking for the lies because media, social media, media, Fox, CNN, they're all lying to you. They're lying to you. And I told you last week, Take some time and start looking for the lies. And again, more importantly, when you find out what the lie is, go to God's Word, the Scripture, and try to find the Scripture that combats the lie that you're being fed. And it's going to take some work, and it's going to take some effort. And you're going to have to identify the lie, and you're going to have to identify the Scripture. And last weekend we talked about, we talked about truth. How truth is not subjective but how truth is objective. Truth is not based on our thoughts. It's not based on our feelings. It's not based on our ideas or our thoughts or emotions. I told you last week, again, some of you probably don't agree with me. Truth does not change. Truth does not change with trends. Truth cannot be modified by the culture. Truth is actually established for us. And the only way we can understand what truth is, is by getting into God's Word and by going to God's Word. And you say, well, why is this important? I'll tell you why it's important. It's, because it's important because right now in our culture, in our society, in our world, truth is under attack. Truth is under attack. Truth is under attack today like it has never been under attack before. I mean, just look at the media. Just look, look at the, the media and the social media platforms. And you can start to see that truth is under vicious attack. And, and what's even more disturbing to me is the idea that truth even exists is under attack. So we have to be sure that we understand what truth is and what truth isn't. And that's what we covered last weekend. And I'll tell you, if you weren't here last weekend and you missed last weekend's message, you can scroll down on our Facebook page and see the entire service minus the last song on our Facebook page. You can hear the audio of last week's message on our website, crossroadslebanon.com forward slash media. And I'll tell you, if you weren't here and you didn't get to be in on that, you need to go back and you need to watch it or you need to listen to it. And let me tell you, some of you that were here, you still need to go back and listen to it again. Because last weekend was chock full of information that we need to know in today's culture. You do not need to not know what we talked about last weekend. Because let me tell you why I believe this is important. 
I believe it's really important that you and I understand what truth is. And the reason why we need to understand what truth is, is really it kind of originates out of a verse of Scripture that's actually found in 2 Timothy. And it really helps us to understand what truth really is. This is the Apostle Paul talking to this young pastor, Timothy. And I want you to look at what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Here's what Paul says. Again, we're going to talk about Paul a couple of times today. But here's what Paul writes. He says, he's telling them, he's telling Timothy, there's going to come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears, look at what it says, they will turn their ears away from the truth and instead turn aside to myths. This is the Apostle Paul encouraging this young pastor, Timothy. Now let, let me tell you, he's encouraging in him in his teaching and in his doctrine and in his theology. And Paul is telling Timothy, guard, listen, guard your truth closely. Why? Why, why would you need to, listen, why would you need to guard truth closely? Because Paul knew there's coming a time when truth is going to be put on trial. There's coming a time when, when truth is going to be put on trial, when people don't, they, they, they don't want to hear sound doctrine. But they're going to want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. And I'm just going to paraphrase this because this is what I believe. It's, it's almost like the Apostle Paul had the ability to look into a telescope and see the very world that you and I are living in. Because, friends, this is where we are. This is exactly where we are. Paul is totally describing the day and the time and the hour in which you and I are living in. Because when you think about it, the words of Paul to Timothy, they actually speak to every aspect of our society right now. All of it. Sound doctrine. Sound theology. Sound logic is not tolerated in our culture today. But instead, people are turning to myths. That's the reason why I asked you the question last week and again today. What's feeding you? What's infiltrating your mind? Everything from the social media apps to the, to the news, everything around us. It's infiltrating our lives and our thought process and our beliefs. And everything in this world right now is, de is designed around something 
called an algorithm. You heard that word before, an algorithm? Everything that's fed to you is fed to you based on your personal preferences. Everything that you're getting on your phone and in your computer, and to a certain degree, these smart televisions... It's being fed to you because you've clicked on something. Based on what you've clicked on. Because listen, Crossroads, look, look right here. Look, look, look. Every day you're building a digital history. And the history that you're building is allowing these companies to feed you more of the things that they think are going to cater to you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would hold up your hand? Don't, don't, don't do it. But how many of you would hold up your hand and say, I talked about something, and the moment I talked about it, I saw that ad that I'd never seen on my phone before. It happens all the time. And they'll just keep coming, and they'll keep coming, and they'll keep coming. Because they're listening to you, and they're watching what you're clicking on, and they're feeding that to you because they think they can infiltrate your mind. And ultimately, they can infiltrate the way that you think and the way that you believe. So they do that because they think they can change the way that you think. And they are changing the way you think. And not only are they changing the way that you think, they're changing the way that you think about God and the way that you think about yourself. So we have to guard truth closely. That's why truth is so important. Go back and listen to last week's message. Now today I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to talk about something that's a trend. And this is one of those trends that's kind of subtle. And it's also what I'd say is a little more personal. Because it's not just about God. But it's also about us. It's about you. It's about me. It's about the way that you and I live our life on a daily basis and the way that we see ourselves. Because the thing I want to talk about today is this tendency that you and I have to put ourselves at the center. You think you're all that in a bag of chips. And so do I. We just have this natural tendency to want to be the center of attention, the center of everything. We want to be the center. And the reason that I want to address this, this heresy, this teaching that's prevalent in our world today is because this idea that, that you and I are enlightened and that we are at the center of everything, that's not biblical at all. Not at all. But here's the thing. Universally, there is just this tendency for me to want to put myself at the center. And, and, and when I think about putting myself at the center, it's kind of funny because I, when I'm standing here, I look down because this is kind of the center. You know, I can see that plug right there, and I, I kind of want to go back to the center. That's, I'm, see, that's what I'm telling you. But you can, chase, you can chase this idea all the way back through history. 
I mean, I, I, if I go back to the 80s, 1980s, I, I mean, I was just a kid in elementary school. And you know then what the focus was? The focus in the 1980s was self-esteem. In the 1990s, I love the 80s, I got to tell you, though. I mean, I love the 80s. In the 90s, it was about self, being self-made. The 2000s, it was about self-help. 2010, 2012, 2013, it was all about being self-believing in yourself. And now the trend is self-love, self-care. Now, let me just say this. All the things that I just mentioned, those things, there's nothing wrong with all of those things. But they are all reflective of the desire that you and I have to put ourselves at the center. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just reflective of you and I wanting to be the center of everything. To put ourselves at the center of existence. And there's a theological word for that. And that theological word is the word humanism. And here's what humanism means. It means that we elevate the experience that we have as human above the spiritual things, above the divine things, above the divine matters. Humanism is raising ourselves above the spiritual, above the divine. And look at that. Look, look at that behind me because that's not a new problem. I mean, think about it. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. What does that slithering little slime ball say to Eve? What does he say? He slithers up on his belly like a co-reptile. And he says, did God actually tell you that you could not eat from the tree? And Eve said, not only did he tell us that we couldn't eat from the tree, he told us, he told us we couldn't even touch the tree at the center of the garden. And what does Satan do? He attacks truth by saying to Eve, oh, that's not true. See, that's not true, Eve, because God knows that once you eat from the tree, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. What does Satan do? He takes God out of the center and he puts Eve in the center. He takes God out of the center and he puts Eve there. And ever since that moment in the story, when Satan slithered into the story and popped in his little ugly head in the picture, you and I have had the same tendency. To want to put ourselves at the center. But here's the problem. That's incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And I can prove that this morning. With this. By looking at, oh wait, my wife's texted me. Hello, how are you doing, baby? It's good to see you. I'll be home after I get done. Have lunch ready. Okay, there you go. But see, I can prove that. And you say, well, Randy, how can you prove that with your phone? I'll tell you, when this phone came on the market, you know what it did? It coined a new phrase. Selfie. A selfie is a picture of ourselves. I guess if there's two people in there, it's an ussy. And three, it's a groupie. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I guess. But, but again, uh, the selfie, and again, the thing I want you to think about is this. When you look at your phone, most of these phones, if you'll go to the album section, you can scroll down, and it will actually give you a place on that particular part of the phone where you can click on selfies. And it will tell you how many selfies that you have of yourself on your phone. Because you want to be at the center of it all. Because let me tell you, when it's about your phone, it's all about self. That's the problem. We put ourselves at the center. And the scripture that I want to focus on today helps us really understand That at the heart of following Jesus, at the heart of discipleship, it's not about self, but it's about self-denial. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, part of what it means to be a Christian, is that you and I find ways to deny ourselves in order that we can follow Christ. Now, we're going to look at some scripture in just a minute from Matthew chapter 16, but before we do, I want to make sure that you have the context, the understanding of what's happening before what we're going to read. And and the thing that you have to understand is Jesus has been living with his disciples for about two years, been doing ministry with his disciples for about two years. These are the guys that he had handpicked, and he had traveled around, uh, Galilee, the land of Israel, teaching, preaching, touching, doing miracles. I mean, these, these guys, these disciples of Jesus, they had seen and experienced everything with him during those two years. And this is actually recorded in a couple of the different Gospels where Jesus actually asked his disciples the question, what are people saying? What are people talking about me? Who are people saying that I am? And it's, it's really interesting. Because the disciples respond to the question when Jesus says, who are people saying that I am? Well, some say you're a great prophet. Some say you're a teacher. Some people say you're Moses. Some people say you're Elijah. And it's really interesting that, that these guys are answering the question because that's a question that, that, that people have an opinion about even in our day and time today. People have all kinds of opinions about who Jesus actually is. It's still true today. People are saying different things about Jesus. 
I saw something yesterday where a, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, somebody from the Baha faith, were all asked the question about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And they all had a response. And those responses in some ways were very different. In some ways they were much the same. But they all had something to say about Jesus. And again, that's the world that you and I live in. You go out to Gondola today. You go out to Chipotle and you have lunch today. And you say, walk up to somebody and say, who is Jesus? You're going to get a hundred different opinions. Because people have an opinion on who they believe Jesus is. And that's what Jesus asked his disciples. But then Jesus asked the more important question. But you talking to his disciples, but you, who do you say that I am? And Peter popped up and said, you know, Peter, you're the Messiah. You're the, you're the son of the living God. Peter makes this claim that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is actually the one that they've been waiting for. And Jesus says that upon the words of Peter, that upon the confession of Peter, that's the foundation that I'm going to build my church. On, on what Peter said, that I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of the living God, that I am the one who they had been waiting for to come into the world. That's the foundation on which I'm going to build my church. Catholicism says that it's Peter, but you have to understand the words. You have to understand what's going on here. That's not right. The words tell us that Jesus says that's the foundation, that the theology, the accurate statement that Peter made, that's the foundation that I'm going to build my church on. It's not Peter. He's going to build the church on himself on the accurate confession of who he was. He's going to build a church on the sound theology of Peter. And so there is this beautiful exchange in the passage of Scripture. And here's what follows of that confession and that promise that Jesus, that Jesus is going to build his church on what Peter said. And even the gates of hell are not going to prevail and be able to stand against it. Here's what it says. Look with me, Matthew 16. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day he would be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Can you imagine somebody pulling Jesus aside and saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, dude, you're, I mean, you, and oh, Lord. But Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be, now this is really important, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world 
yet forfeit their soul. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. Because when we read this, we get a clear understanding of what discipleship looks like, what discipleship really means. Because Jesus tells us, if you're going to follow me, this is what it requires. And here's the first thing he says that it requires. Following me requires that you deny yourself. The very first thing is that you deny yourself. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you have to deny yourself. It's absolutely fundamental as a Christian to not put ourselves at the center. Because here's the reality. If you're at the center, then God can't be at the center. And if God is at the center, then you can't be at the center. That's what he's saying. Part of being a disciple, part of being a disciple, the first step is that we deny ourselves. I love this quote by, by Tony Evans. I actually got to meet him one time. Here's what Tony Evans says. Look, look, look behind me. He says, people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. They reject the Bible because it contradicts them. I mean, that's, that's meat and potatoes right there, sisters and brothers. I mean, he, 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 he's, he, he's, throwing, he's, he's slinging out filet mignon right there. People don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. They reject the Bible because it contradicts them. See, so many people have this fundamental idea that they feel like the Bible contradicts itself. But the truth is, the reason we feel that way is because the Bible contradicts who we naturally are. Now think about it. It contradicts what you want to do. Who you want to be, what you want to believe. And so it puts our wants in contradiction with the Word of God. And when our wants are in that contradiction with the Word of God, it sets us up that there's a decision that has to be made. Am I going to go with the Word or the world? And see, that's the place that the Holy Spirit wants to infiltrate our life and bring conviction for the things that we're doing so that we can bring our life in alignment with the Word of God and what the Bible says. And I'm here to tell you this is not going to be easy. And I'm not going to tell you that any of us have figured this all out. But I will tell you this, I do know this, on this journey that all of us are on in following Jesus, it's paramount. It is not negotiable. We have to deny ourselves. At the same time that the world is telling you, put yourself at the center. You're the center of everything. See, I talked a moment ago about this idea of self-love that's going around right now. And let me just say, self-love isn't bad. But don't misunderstand me. L listen to what I'm saying. Self-love isn't bad. Because the only reason, I'm, I'm going to tell you, the only reason that, that you should take care of yourself and that I should take care of myself is so that I can live my life and put God first. 
I'm not saying that there's no, no place for self. I'm just telling you that self can't be first. It's not bad to love yourself. It's not bad to take care of yourself. But the reason we love ourselves and take care of ourselves is so that we can first love God and then love others, right? So part of what it means to follow Jesus is that we deny ourselves. Here's the second thing. Take up your cross. That's what it means to be a disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross. And see, here's the thing. You, you don't really think about this. What's really interesting is Jesus has just said this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Those guys have no idea what this looks like. They have no visual. Because this hasn't happened to Jesus yet. I mean, think about it. Jesus has not yet been paraded through the streets of Jerusalem with a physical cross on his back at the point that he says this. So they don't have a visual for what this looks like. But see, it would be shortly after he spoke these words that the disciples would see what it meant. For their Savior to physically put the cross on his back and be paraded down the streets for everyone to see. Their Savior weighed down and burdened by the cross. They were about to get a visual representation of what that truly looked like. Now think about this. They didn't have the visual when Jesus said that. But we have that visual today. And at the same time, the instructions of Jesus have not changed. Deny yourself and take up your cross. I mean, I mean you, you think, oh, that, 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 that's not even culturally, that, I, I can't even relate to that. What does that actually mean? I'll tell you. It means that following Jesus is going to be hard. And it's going to be difficult. Did you hear what I said? It's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. And can I just speak truth to you this morning that you're not going to want to hear? Following Jesus is going to get harder tomorrow and Tuesday. It's going to get harder every day. I mean, I was watching an excerpt from one of the, I'm not going to mention it because somebody will get mad. Well, I don't really care. But anyway, uh, uh, The View. Anybody know that, that, that toxic bunch of people that are on? I mean, I don't, I, I, they, they were bashing Christians. Openly on television, bashing Christians. Followers of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. It's going to get harder and harder and harder. You don't see any social media platform or any media that's not bashing Christians. Because the Word told us that's exactly what's going to happen. That's what you're going to find in here. It's going to get harder and harder and more difficult. And you just need to hear what I'm saying. It's not going to get any easier to follow Jesus. It's going to get harder. And sometimes it involves pain. And sometimes you're going to want to buckle under the burdens of the things that you've been carrying. But can I tell you this morning, God is just here through me telling you, keep going because it's going to be worth it. 
it's going to be worth it. Listen, Crossroads, it's worth it to not just follow him in the good things. But it's going to be worth it for you to follow him to the cross. It's worth it every day to pick up that burden, to pick up that cross. It's worth it to deny yourself and to pick up your cross and to follow him so that you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew how important it was that was. And he gave them another model of what this meant by taking his disciples to the garden. You've heard the story. Jesus took them to the garden. He said, guys, you wait right here. I'm going to go be with the Father. And Jesus comes back, and what does he find? Everybody's asleep. Every time they were asleep. And when we read in Scripture the prayer that Jesus prays, where Jesus says, Lord, if there's, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And yet the words that we read from Scripture that are found in Luke 22, verse 42, Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And I just see Jesus pausing. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Look, look, look at the words behind me. What is Jesus saying? You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, I'm not going to put myself at the center. Whatever it is that you want, God. It's your will, not my will. And you know what I wonder? How different our lives would be, how different our prayer lives would be if there was a little more nevertheless there. God, I just pray that you'll, that you'll, that you'll touch my body and you'll heal my body and, and, and give me the victory over what I need. But nevertheless, if you choose not to do that, not my will, but your will be done. In my finances, in my relationship, in my health, in my job, nevertheless. Never, how different would our life be if there was a little more nevertheless? If nevertheless marked our prayers and our thoughts and our words. See, Jesus prayed and he asked God. And this is the important part. Jesus said, God, would you be at the center of everything in my life? Would you help me to deny myself, to take up my cross, and to follow you? That's the third thing. Look at the third thing. Follow Jesus. Notice that that doesn't come first. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow Jesus. Actually, that's what it means to be a disciple. It's pretty simple. 
Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. But we can't miss the first step. The first step is deny yourself. Because we live in a time and we live in a culture that this culture is telling us everything that is just the opposite of that. The world is telling you that you don't have to deny yourself, but God is telling you in the Bible that you do have to deny yourself. Because Scripture calls every one of us to deny ourselves. To take up our cross and to follow Jesus. You know what's interesting? The rest of the New Testament is the instruction manual on how to do that. Most of it. It's the instruction manual on how to follow Jesus. But in so many ways, we see that Jesus modeled this for us. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul is writing. And the thing that he's trying to communicate to you and I is that following Jesus, it will impact every area of our lives, especially our relationships. Look at what he says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God. He was God. Jesus was God. Who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And that's your example. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's denied himself. He's taken up his cross. Why? So that you and I would be able to follow him. And not just follow him in salvation, but that we would be able to follow him in every area of our lives. And so this is the way that we need to understand this is what the world is telling you that's the way life works it's you at the center self at the center others around you and then there's God it's all about you that's the theology that the world is feeding you through this little black phone here that I have in my hand you're at the center and it's still good to care about other people. And somewhere out there, there's, there's God out there on the, hint, on the fringes. But let me tell you this morning. If we're going to have sound theology, if you want a clear definition of discipleship, you know what we have got to do? We've got to change our thinking. We've got to flip the script. Because here's what it really looks like. It's God at the center. It's loving God. It's loving others. And then it's you. And that's my prayer for you today. That you would be able to do that. God at the center, others around you, and then you, ourselves. 
that we, that we would remove ourselves from the sinner and replace that with God. Simply, listen, listen, listen. Simply following the example that Jesus set for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Because I want to pray two prayers this morning. I want to pray the first prayer for those who have never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You've never invited God into your life. Today could be the day that you make that decision. The second prayer is for the rest of us, that we already follow Jesus, but that we would be better disciples, that we would deny ourselves, that we would take up our crosses, and that we would be followers of Jesus. Maybe today's the day you want to receive the salvation that's made available through Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross. My words are not magical. Words aren't magical. It's about the commitment that you're making in your heart, your spiritual heart, to commit your life to Jesus, to accept him as your Savior, to ask him to forgive your sins. So would you just pray this prayer if that's what you would desire right there in your home, listening, watching online? Would you just say the words that I'm going to use or use your own words? Just say, Jesus, today, I put you at the center. I invite you into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to accept the forgiveness that was available to me for my sins that I've committed in life that came from the cross and your sacrificial death there. And today, God, I ask through Jesus Christ for your forgiveness. And my desire is to live my life as best I know how, following you, Jesus. And again, if that's a prayer that you prayed and you'd like to be baptized next weekend, we'll talk to you about that and we'll get you set up. Let us know that. The tear off, the instructions there, letting us know that you want to be included. And God, for the rest of us, it's simply that we would be better disciples. That we would realize the world is communicating a theology that puts self at the center. But Scripture teaches, God, that you're at the center. And that others are next. And we're the third that we would live with an ounce of self-help and self-love and self-care, understanding that that's about extending our life and putting you first so that we can impact this world for the kingdom, which we're going to talk about next week as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. stand together.
Before me, the world behind. 